All right, if you'll turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. If you're visiting with us uh, this morning, we're glad to have you. What we do uh, right now in the morning is that we're going through a consecutive study in the book of Acts. And the chapter and portion for what we're given is Acts chapter 17, and it's the first 14, but we'll use to 15 just for context sake. So it's the first 15 verses of Acts chapter 17, and that will be the selected portion. And then tonight what we plan to do is to go back to it, depending on where we get, go a little more in depth about um, these people of Berea, and being noble-minded, and also addressing any questions that are in the question box. Um, so if there's anything that you'd like to have examined, and we can do it collectively. It's a collective thing, even though there's one person uh, reading the question and answering it, but it is an open session, and so we'll have those available. And the question box is back there. It's checkered and black velvet. You can't miss it right there on the table. So let's look to the Lord before we get started. Our Father, we just ask for your help, Lord, and, and we just ask that you'd open our eyes so we might uh, behold wondrous things from your book, Lord. And I just pray also for my cousin and the new baby, and we pray that you keep them healthy. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so let's just read these 15 verses. And uh, what we'll do is read, and then we'll get into our study. And what we like to do is just consider twofold witness. But let's read. Acts 17 and verse 1. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, This Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and a number of leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they had not Find, uh, when they did not find them, they uh, began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were, no, these were more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men, and when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there likewise, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. 
and then 15 for context. Sake. Now those who, were conduct, those who conducted Paul brought them as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And so one of the first things as we're looking into our study, uh, since it's given to different men, is you know, to always to go back and kind of get the context. Well, the um, unfortunate thing is when you do study, that's the way you, know, you kind of want to get the context of where things are. And instead of doing that, I thought perhaps that we can look where exactly we are in Acts. And this was um, something that, you know, when I, we were going through this, is where these missionary journeys begin, where they end, especially when it comes to the second half of Acts. The story shifts from uh, Peter and from those beginning uh, apostles to where the Holy Spirit shifts the direction to the journeys of Paul and his companions, Barnabas, Silas. And then especially at the end, there's five, five or six chapters taken up of what happens in Jerusalem. And so there's, I think it's broken down into four journeys. The first one is starting in Acts 13 in verse, uh, uh, sorry, Acts 13. It goes to Acts 15 and verse 35. And this map I got from, from uh, just searching it. But this is a map of the Mediterranean Sea, of course. And here is Israel down here. And Jerusalem, you can see right there at the bottom. But where uh, Paul uh, started off and Barnabas and Silas was this church right here. It's Antioch, Syria. There's a lot of Antiochs uh, in this area, but uh, this is the Antioch where they started off. And this was, so to speak, the home church where they were commended from. And so the first trip, as you see in 13, was Paul and Barnabas taken along and they sailed across to Cyprus. And then from Cyprus, you can follow this map. They went up to uh, Cilicia, this region here in Pamphylia. And then they went to the Galatian region. I always thought Galatian, Galatia was a, a city. It actually is a region. And so the Galatian region, they went around and they went up to Derby. This is where Timothy's from. And then they retraced their steps. And then they sailed back to Antioch. And then they, they reported on what happened in Acts 15, 13. Now, they get back there, and there's some time. You can read it. Paul says, well, why don't we go back and visit those Christians? Why don't we go back and encourage them and revisit them? See how they're doing. There's some time that went past, and it was upon the Lord laid it upon his heart to go do that. And here they are again, starting off in Antioch, but a different journey. Now, uh, something about this trip. Uh, Paul's companion now changed. Barnabas was, it was Paul and Barnabas working together. But then there was... Uh, at this time, Paul says, let's go do it. Barnabas says, that's great. Well, I'm going to bring, uh, bring along John Mark. Now, if you remember from the first one, he's the one that left them towards the beginning, actually, in the old map. You can see it here. He left them when they was right here. He went back to Jerusalem. He didn't complete the rest of this journey. And there was a big disagreement between them. And so because of that, they separated. Now, Barnabas did the same track. It says that he sailed to Cyprus. So we don't know beyond that what he did. Perhaps he did the same thing, the same thing as that first missionary journey. But we are given the account of what Paul did, perhaps because later Luke was with him. Who knows? Um, but it's the Holy Spirit that uh, directed this. But he went up this way by land. And last week we, we, uh, we heard that he was forbade by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia. Now when it says Asia, this is where he was last time. 
And so he completely went around it and then went to Troas and then sailed to Semestres, which we learned last week, and then to Philippi. So today's lesson is up in here in this region of Macedonia. This is actually where that call is being answered. The, the, the man calling for Paul to come over to Macedonia and Berea, Thessalonica, and then uh, next week in the, Lord, in, in, uh, in the will of the Lord, we'll be looking in Athens. But, and this starts in 15 and goes to, verse, uh, it goes to chapter 18 to verse 22. Now, and then there's the third one. The third one happens at uh, 18.23 to 21.17. This also starts in Antioch, and it's Paul and Silas. And what they do basically in this trip, the dark line is where they start off. They go and they visit basically everybody that, like, the, like they did in the second one, but they go back to the ones that they visited uh, new in the second one. And they reverse it. They go back. And then around here, instead of going to Ephesus, we learn that, he called the elders down to Ephesus to Miletus because he didn't want to spend too much time there. And then he sailed his way to Jerusalem because he wanted to get there for the Passover. He wanted to be, or the uh, day of Pentecost, excuse me. He wanted to be back for that. So he sailed straight for that. And then after that, I don't know if it's called his fourth missionary journey or what, but it's, it's the trip from where there's a big section of time here from 20, uh, 2117 I just marked it because that's when he actually lands in Jerusalem. There's a lot of things happening in between these two uh, chapters. There's the council. There's the exchange of, of, of Paul and the council. And then they want to kill him. And then there's Lysias interceding and taking him away and then sending him to Felix. And then he's passed on to Festus. And then Festus and Agrippa and all this. All that hearing. There's some uh, time that passes on. At least two, upwards to maybe five, I don't know how many years. But then finally he appeals to Caesar. And, and uh, Festus fi- says, fine, you can go to Caesar. And so from Caesarea where he was from, where Festus was presiding, and this is the region where Paul is actually from. I think it's Troas or somewhere in here. He is sent from Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea so he, along this way, and you can read about this. Luke is very detailed. Even right here in Fair Havens. You know, he, he advised them not to leave that place because there's going to be a storm. But, of course, we know the pilot was uh, determined by the captain to keep pressing on. And then they sailed on the Clauda. And then around Malta, they shipwrecked and then up into Rome. And then beyond that, we don't know. Uh, excuse me. We don't know what happened uh, beyond that. We're not given the details. But he ended up in Rome. And what, um, what the Lord has told Paul that he was going to witness in Jerusalem and then he was going to witness in Rome, he actually ended up doing it. So that's just a little bit of a history and forward as we're looking forward here. But in, in chapter 17, we're up in this region up here in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea. They're very close, probably within 50 miles of each other. And we're going to notice something of, as we're going through Acts, there's a lot of things... Um, that I like, that I like about it because we can see how the, the early Christians operated. And I said this the last time. How they operated when they went to a city. What they did. What they consumed their time with. And how they, uh, witnessed to, to, uh, to those people. And we too can, uh, uh, learn from this. And we too can have this as an example for us. And so, that's the first thing we want to look at. Dave mentioned a little bit about Paul's custom. But it says here in, in verse 2, according to Paul's custom, when he came to this area, he went to them. 
And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead, saying that this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And so his custom started way back in the beginning when he started off um, in Acts chapter 11, uh, where he was uh, commissioned from Antioch one of the first places that, um, excuse me, Acts 13, where he, he uh, the first story, it's not the first stops he went to, but Antioch Poseidon. And we're actually given what exactly he, uh, uh, example message of what he was telling them. And he would go to the synagogue, uh, the synagogue of the Jews. Why? Perhaps that's where the God-fearing people were. That's where uh, those who were seeking after God, perhaps they, uh, their hearts were prepared the Holy Spirit led them to there. But from there, he would branch out. And so in 13, you can see this, that the entire city, he, he, he goes to the synagogue, and it, the, the, the Scripture's read. Paul, uh, the, the authority there, says, does anybody else want to say anything? Paul would raise his hand and say something and expound from the Scriptures how the Lord Jesus is the Christ. And he would make this connection and then see who would respond from it and then explain to them the gospel how they can be saved. Now, from this, it, you see, well, that's a very favorable response. The entire, it says the entire city came out to this one place. Oh, things are going great, right? He's on the right track. But guess what? He meets opposition. And that's the first thing about this, is anytime you want to speak, and we heard it this morning, anytime you want to proclaim the name of Jesus, or you want to uh, speak about the kingdom, is there's going to be opposition. And don't be surprised. And if there's not opposition, except in this room or with other Christians, I would be surprised. Because you know what this world is against? It's everything against God. And so there's going to be opposition, and there's going to be those enemies of the gospel that do not want anything to do with God. And the Lord Jesus said this, They hated me, So, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing it, don't be surprised that they're going to hate you as well, because they hate me. And so... Um, it's also an encouragement for us, even though we might look at that situation and say, well, look at this. It looks like nobody's responding. And everywhere we're turning, we're getting kicked out of where we're going. But you know what? That's exactly where God wanted them, right? And so he had many people in this place. But eventually what happened is there was this group of, of, of people called the Jews. And there were some Jewish people that were getting saved and some Gentiles. But these Jews were becoming very jealous because what they saw is and these were the these were not just you know uh, these were the ones that were uh, supposed to be expecting the Messiah. They wanted the same things. They were what Paul was before he met the Lord. They wanted the same things. They wanted the Messiah. They wanted Israel's glory restored by the Messiah. But they didn't want to uh, confess that Jesus was the Messiah. And what they did, they saw the crowds uh, joining together. Because God was working, God was bringing this group of people together under the Lord Jesus, and they got jealous. Because, you know, they were the religious authority. They were, the, they were God's peace. And, and they were the ones who had the oracles of, of God given to them. And that group of people will still be saved, but they're still, at one time, they're going to have to go through heavy tribulation. But they were very jealous at this time. They were enemies, Romans says. Enemies for the gospel's sake. And what they would do is they would... Uh, and it's very, it's scripted almost. It seems the same thing everywhere they went. Different group of people who didn't know anything else about another city, but they would act in the same way. 
And so it's, a, it's an example for us that when we go out and even though we're, maybe we're not going to a different region or a different city, but in our own workplaces, if we're going to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ by our lives, by our words, there's going to be opposition. So expect it. But they would recruit uh, uh, wicked men or somehow, and they riled up the crowds um, because they saw the crowds that were gathering together and, 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 and what they would do, they would blaspheme. And this is very interesting, um, what it says here that uh, about these Jewish people, but there's two things I want to look at. it in, in verse 46 and 13, it says, Paul and Boris, this is after that they riled up the crowds, that's fine, but they started blaspheming. And they started saying uh, perverse things about the Lord. It says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. He said, it is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge, it, judge yourselves unworthy, unworthy for eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, does that mean Paul never went to the Jewish people ever again? Well, no. Look in 17. He goes back. Every city he went to, there's a, there's a custom that Paul's developing. He would go to the synagogue of the Jews... Now, there would be some that would respond. They would blaspheme and reject it. Then he would go somewhere else. He'd be led. Now, we see Paul's heart also in his epistles, right? He says that he would rather be set apart in Romans 9 or Romans 10 than, than have his, uh, so that he can have his entire nation be saved, right? His desire was for his own people, uh, where he was from, the Jewish people, that they would be saved. But what happened is they repudiated it. That means they... They, they shoved it away from them. They're kicking like a little kid. Kicked it away from them. They didn't want anything to do with it. They cast it off. And they judged themselves unworthy, unworthy for eternal life. But the second thing I want to notice about this is that Paul never stopped going to them. And that's encouragement for you and I, right? We have family members, perhaps, we, uh, in, in the country we live, is it generally, it, you know, not generally, is godless, right? And so we have friends, we have family members that do not know the Lord Jesus as Savior. And perhaps they do say things that are blasphemous and they're kicking and, and, and pushing it off. But don't stop praying for them. Don't stop going to them and witnessing. Why? Because uh, it, it, you know, that's for the Lord to decide and that's for the Lord to reveal to the heart and, and pray for them. And so we see that with Paul is that he continually continually went to them. And uh, there was a time where he did back off, backed off, right? Uh, eventually when... when uh, Certain uh, circumstances would come up and, and they would come and threaten his life or something. Whatever the case may be, he, there was a time where they, he did back off. But he still uh, uh, stayed true to the call that the Lord called him to and was proclaiming the gospel. And just because he met a little opposition, it didn't deter him. And so that's encouragement for us. So that was Paul's custom in a nutshell. And so here in, in Thessalonica, no different. He would go to the to the the, the synagogue, and the and, and we want to look at two things. The twofold witness I called in my next thing, uh, in the next slide, is what twofold witness do we bring? Well, some some have said, well, it's you know, speak the uh, live the gospel, and if necessary, speak. I, I know I'm misquoting that. Al Alvarado used to say it, but you know, it is necessary to speak the gospel. It is necessary. Why? Because it's the Word of God that saves them. It's not my words. It's not how clever I can uh, 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 mix it up and how I present it. It's the Word of God unto salvation. right? And so it is necessary to speak it and to proclaim the Word. This is what it says in, in verse 3. Explaining and giving evidence. 
Literally what it means is he opened and he placed before them. And so that, you know, I don't know about you, but that takes a little bit of the pressure off, right? I, I mean, there was a lot of times where, it, well, there still is, where I close my mouth because maybe I feel like I'm not too, uh, uh, I'm not too qualified in the sense of how I, I proclaim the name of Christ or how I explain the gospel. Or how, how can I package it to where they can understand it and it's a great selling point, right? That's what, that's what, that's what sales is, right? They gotta hook you in. But that's not what it says. It says, he opened and he placed it before him. Literally, that's all he did. And the word of God and God drew them, drew their hearts to himself, right? And so that takes the pressure off. And the Lord obviously is helping. But the biggest enemy, I think, and you know, you can ask yourself this, for me, I know, when I speak the gospel or what, what, what comes between me and doing what the Lord has asked me to do and being a witness is myself, right? Because of certain things or, or certain things I've placed before me or certain limitations and I think I'm not too, uh, I'm not too eloquent or whatever it is, um, uh, what they did is explaining, meaning opening the scriptures and giving evidence or uh, placing before these people that the Christ. And we're going to look at at three things. Very simple. Presentation of God's Word. So the first thing with the, the, of the twofold witness is the presentation of God's Word. The first thing we're going to look at is, well, what do they say? Explain and give an evidence that the Christ. That's the first thing. The Christ that there is, and that's the uh, literally the Messiah. That's what it means. And, you know, this world, they want Messiahs, right? We're going to get into that it's specifically reserved for a person, but there is a Messiah. And so that's what we come first with, the, mes- the message of there is a Messiah. And you don't have to uh, go very far to talk to people to find out that there's problems in the world. And there's things that there's hurt and there's pain. And, and why is it that if you, if, you, if you look at, you can talk to even uh, the unsaved people, why is it that we have you know, certain uh, UNs and Peace Corps and all these things trying to fix the world because there's a major problem with it? And they'll agree with it, right? They can look at, uh, I was listening to my cousin as he was talking about this wedding that he went to and all the wreckage of sin. And, and apart from Christ, we were part of that too. And, and, and how, does, how, does, how can anything fix it? Can, it, can Alcohols Anonymous fix that? Well, maybe they can give you some great uh, 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 boost or something and get you along the way. But how can real change happen? The problem is, is it's inward. And the only person that can change a person that's inward is the Word of God and the, is the Christ, the Messiah. And so that's the message. That's the message that we bring to them is the Messiah, is that there is somebody that can save them, that can rescue them from their lost estate. That while the sin and the misery of the world has been weighing on their shoulders, they're wanting it. God has already prepared their heart. And all you're doing is opening and placing before them the Scriptures that there is a Messiah. Well, the second part, that's great, because you know what? A lot of people say, yeah, uh, we believe there's a Messiah. But what about the second part? They don't agree about this. Had to suffer and rise again from the dead. They don't agree with the message what God has proclaimed, God's way of salvation, what the Messiah exactly had to do. He had to suffer the suffering and death and resurrection. The way that God rescued us. They don't agree. We'll say... Oh, that's not a story for the Messiah. You know, that's not what a Messiah would do. That's not what the Son of God... Even, you know, some of the... Uh, I heard uh, one of 
this, this guy at school told me one time, well, if you believe that, and, and they'll start reasoning this thing out. And I said, well, if God is, he, he can't die, right? And if Jesus died, well, that means God died. And, and they start trying to you know, reason themselves out. Oh, he can't be it. And they try to take away from God's plan. And they'll throw this, all this confusion in the, in the mix. And, and all these things, and that's not it, right? This is the proclaimed message. The suffering, the humility, the way that he, uh, uh, he was rejected. He, uh, the world did not want him. And then the death. They, uh, this morning we remembered his death, right? By his command, the bread and the wine, right? Speaks of his body broken and his blood shed for us. And it's not the end, right? Because he lives in a power of an, unchang- of an indestructible life. He rose again. And that is evidence for the world that he is the Christ. Psalms 2. See, here's another thing too. We have the entire word of God with us. New Testament included, right? We have it right in front of us. But what did these Old Testament say, uh, excuse me, what did these early Christians have? All they had was the Old Testament. Does the Old Testament say something different than the New Testament? It doesn't, right? It's the same thing. They were using the same scriptures. Psalms 2 says, Today you are my son. Uh, uh, today I have begotten you. You are my son. I'm misquoting it. But uh, let me just get that exactly because it's Psalms 2. But it speaks about the Lord Jesus and those who would come against Him. It says, He said to me, this is the Messiah speaking to the Father, He said to me, Thou art my Son, today I have begotten Thee. And how do we know that that's a, 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 a communication between the Godhead? Well, the early Christians talked about it because they said those who would set themselves against us, Herod, Pilate, the entire world, they set themselves against the Messiah, thought that they could throw Him over. Right? That's what, that was the question that... Uh, Pilate asked him, what is truth? Because he said he was a king. The, 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 uh, the Lord Jesus said he was a king, but where's his army? Where's the real power? It seemed at the time that Pilate had the power over him. What is truth? That was Pilate's question. Well, he did. He was a king. He was a true king, but he, was a, he allowed them to be given into their hands to be put to death. Right? And so today, uh, thou art my son, today I have begotten, uh, begotten thee. And so the day of resurrection was proof, positive, evidence, for the entire world, that he wasn't just a mere man, but he was God's son, beloved son, and that he was the Messiah, identifying him as the Messiah. So we stick to it, that there is a Christ, the Messiah, and that he had to suffer and rise again, and uh, he had to suffer his death and his resurrection. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something that we need to proclaim. And then the final statement, well, that's great. You know, maybe, uh, yeah, we... You know, there are groups that say, yes, our Christ did this, our Christ did suffer, and he took that lowly place. But they disagree on this, on this one point, that Jesus is the Christ. You know, they'll proclaim lots of other Jesuses. We had, um, a while back, we had some, uh, me and Lindsay had some people over, and they were proclaiming another Jesus. They said, oh, this is their first line that they said, we believe the same things you do. And I'm like, I didn't even say anything yet to them. He doesn't know my background or anything. And then when I uh, began to ask questions about what they believe, their Jesus was not the Jesus of the Bible. Their Jesus was somebody else. Their Jesus was a brother of Satan and stuff like that. Crazy things, right? And so there's people that say there is a Messiah and He went through all these things, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's another person. And so the, the Christian, as we come out, is we proclaim that this Jesus, whom I proclaim it to you, is the Christ, as Paul did. 
We proclaim that there is a Christ, that there is salvation, and no other name except in the Lord Jesus. We heard that this morning. There is a Christ. The suffering, the death and the resurrection, the proclaimed manner that He went. Perhaps we thought maybe God could have did it better. He could have came in on a white horse and then conquered all His foes and then taken us back up. Well, eventually that will happen, but He had to change our hearts. He had to prepare us for the kingdom. He couldn't just let sinners in. He couldn't disregard His holiness. He had to make us clean. And so that was the manner of how He did. That's how He rescued us. The suffering and death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, a perfect sacrifice. And that Jesus is the Christ. And so what was the result of this? Verse 4 tells us, And some of them were being persuaded in joining Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and a number of leading women. And so in this place, and while it was a synagogue, was a place of teaching uh, where the, the, the book of Moses was read and, and, the, and the Torah and things like that. But there also were those like Cornelius, people that were seeking after God, Greeks. And those were the ones that Paul was, uh, uh, that the Lord said that he would be a light to the Gentiles. And he never, he never stopped doing that. Even though he had a heart for the Jewish people, God always moved them to the, to the Gentiles as well. And he brought the word to them. And so we do see Greeks being, uh, being saved and a number of leading women, uh, leading women. So seeing all this in the crowds, what would be the response of the people who did not accept it? Right? We saw it from Acts 13. We see it now in Acts 17, the same exact prescribed method of how they would deal with this new Christianity, how they would deal with this new rising uh, threat, they thought, to their religious beliefs. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed the mob, and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And so um, they recruited uh, wicked men. I really don't know how else to describe it than uh, perhaps they hired you know, some bodyguards or Blackwater. I don't know. One of these security firms, they hired somebody who would boost their uh, power, their hold over something. And they thought to, as the, uh, the Lord says, you know, he even says this uh, when he was uh, on, on the earth, he said that people take the kingdom of God by force. They think that they can come on their own terms. And these Jews says, you know what? We're going to take them over. We're going to thwart what they're doing, and we're going to hire somebody. We're going to hire a greater authority, or we're going to hire somebody who has power, and we're going to bring some wicked men, and we're going to cause a city, uh, we're going to cause this disruption, and we're going to get these people out of here. Well... Remember, don't, don't forget that while we're in this world, until we get to heaven, there's going to be opposition, right? But the Lord is still on their side, and the Lord's still on our side. And even though wicked mobs, governments, whatever it is, it can't thwart what God's doing in this world. And that's encouragement for us not to give up and not to continue, uh, uh, not to, to cast aside the things that the Lord has called us to do, but to con- continue to go on because we have a supernatural resource. It's the person of the Holy Spirit and that nothing can thwart what God is doing on this, on this earth. And so the mob comes, and they come upon the house of Jason. Now, this is the only mention, these three verses of this person, Jason. I kind of like you know, that name. You know, it makes me think of my cousin and, and his wife and their lovely family. But you know what? There's only three verses of Jason. And just like uh, uh, that Jason, I can insert my name there too. What, what was it that they came on to him? Why were they after this person? Well, they couldn't find Paul and Silas. The only thing that we read about Jason is, 
is because he gave them, look at this, um, Jason, in verse 7, Jason has welcomed them. Jason was open to the saints. He identified with them. And perhaps we're not the ones going out there and being like Paul and going out to the marketplace and, and, and proclaiming the name of Jesus, whatever it is. But we can have a part too, right? We can welcome the saints. We can identify ourselves with those people who are outcasts, right? Who are giving the gospel. We can pray for them. You know, th- this is something that everybody can do. And I think this is where we mostly fail is when we see Christians uh, 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 being ridiculed or whatever the case may be, we, we kind of slink back. We're like, oh man, look at all that opposition. You know, I'm not going to get with them. Look at the whole crowd is, and I might lose my uh, position. You know, I don't know what happened with, with Jason or whoever else was left in Th- uh, Thessalonica. Maybe he lost his job. You know, maybe he was evicted from his home. Maybe he had to go live somewhere else. But was it worth it? Well, we're going to find out. But he welcomed. That was the only thing that was Jason's uh, um, Jason's um, uh, indictment when they were coming against him. He wasn't out there. Maybe he was out there speaking, but he welcomed them. He identified himself with the saints. He was working with them, supporting them. Paul and Silas praying for them. And so they, they went to Jason's house and they sought to bring them out. And so that's... Before we go to the next verse, this is the second fold witness. And it's the presentation of a, I just called it the presentation of a changed life. It's the acting out of the gospel. Jason, you can tell, was a changed life. He identified with the saints. He identified them so much that he had the entire city coming out. Now, if you imagine Pembroke Pines, 250,000 people here, I think, in this city. Can you imagine the entire city coming to, to Glenn Bialy's house? Because he welcomes some speaker. And then they're dragging him. What it means by uh, uh, dragging him out, it literally means they dragged him by his feet. And you don't think it was like nice and you know, easy, kind of put a stake between him you know, like, and carried him. It wasn't like a cartoons. No, it was dragging him by his feet, dragging him on the ground. And, and if nothing else, you know, what happened later? You know, these saints, and it doesn't really say you know, about Jason or the ones here, but... When they were persecuted, they, they, they asked the Lord. They didn't ask. It's interesting about this. They didn't ask that the Lord re, that would reveal, uh, relieve them of the stress of the persecution. They asked for an open door for the gospel to be spoken to. And so why is that? Is it something that they were drinking or is it something that they were eating that give them soup and strength? No, it was because the Lord was helping them. The Lord was empowering them. And they were doing the things that God asked them to do and God helped them. And so... Uh, when we're going out there in, 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 in whatever, the workplace, and don't slink back. You know, live the gospel. Presentation of a changed life. Um, you know, I don't know some of the history of, you know, before you knew Christ, those of you who are Christians and those of you who, who aren't. But there's a change of life. You know, there's, there's a good friend of mine, and he came down from, uh, from an area and to live here. And he got saved. And every time he goes back, to that place. You know, they're always amazed at the change in his life. And he's speaking the gospel. And, 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 and just, it's nothing, it's, he's the same person, except that he's born again, right? We heard this morning. He's the same person. But they're so amazed at the change in his life because of what God had gotten a hold of him and, and, and saved him, gave him new life. And, and just the change, presentation of a changed life. Maybe he's not the most eloquent person speaking, but he's a witness to them because of his changed life. And so, What's the first thing that says about them? We, see, we, we hear their indictment here uh, from these people. 
And this is actually compliments as we hear this, but in verse 6 it says, They did not find them, meaning Paul and Silas, and they began dragging Jason and the brethren out before the city authorities, shouting, These men have upset the world, have come here also. Literally means that they turn the world upside down. And, uh, you know, this is kind of going backwards, but it's, it's building from the, from the top, but the top is ultimately because they met the Lord Jesus. You know, Paul was going one way. Paul's a prime example. A murderer. Against everything that the gospel stood for. He persecuted the church. He met the Lord one day, and now he's going the opposite way. Right? He went three years into the wilderness. He came back to the place where he got saved, Damascus. They were so surprised that it, this is the same guy that was doing this? And then they, you know, they drove him out. But a changed life. They upset the world. What does that mean? Does that mean that we have to overthrow governments? Does that mean that we have to get ourselves involved in what's going on in this government to upset it, to instill Christian values? No, what did they bring? They brought the gospel to them. That's how they upset the world. They lived under the direction of a, the true king, the Lord Jesus, which we're going to eventually get to as our last point. But the second point is they're contrary to the world system. Look at this. It says, they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And we'll just get the last one since it's part of it. Saying that there's another king, Jesus. They serve, uh, they serve the true king, the king, the Lord Jesus, and they act contrary to that king or the world's king. They act uh, contrary to the world system. And so we have two things here. One is, is that while we're, we're Christians, we're serving under the true king, whether we're proclaiming it in our lives at the time or not, it's the reality. But here it is, it says they act contrary. Now, it doesn't say what exactly they did. We know, and I can guarantee you, that they didn't do anything like breaking the, the law and the, the civil law there. Because that's what the accusations against Paul was. They were trying to find something wrong with him. The only thing he said that he said wrong was he shouted something to the Jewish council. He lived his life accordingly. And we see that in the epistles that he obeyed the civil authorities. He wasn't out there trying to, to, to overthrow governments and to instill Christian values and, and to elect the most Christian man. He wasn't doing anything like that. But their, their, reality, their perception of what was going on, because he's preaching another king, that must mean he must be serving under that king's authority. And he must be following what that king wants. You know, that, that reminds me of this phrase that I've always wondered about. It's in Hebrews, and it talks about Moses, the reproaches of Christ. And in, in, in Hebrews 11, it says this, 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he grew, grew, uh, had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure the ill treatment of the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who was unseen. And so what is the reproaches of Christ? Well, look at what, what was the message that Christ was bringing to, to the people then? The kingdom, right? And he would give parables uh, illustrating what was actually going on. Remember the, the parable of the, of the vine, uh, the vineyard owner, right? He, he has a vineyard. He turns it over to some people to care, to take care of it and to cultivate it. 
Well, they, they're there so long, they said, you know what, we want to make it ours. We want to overthrow that person. And he sends servants. And he sends another servant. They beat him, they kill him. And then finally he says he'll send his son to reclaim what is his. Well, what does it say they did? They cast him out. They didn't want anything to do with that, that heir. And, and while the Lord Jesus was here, they didn't want anything to do with that king or his kingdom. The reproaches of Christ. They didn't agree. They didn't want anything to do with his king. We're just fine the way it is. We'll just follow Caesar. We'll just do... Uh, uh, don't, don't bother us what, what, what's going on here. We'll do what we have here. We're just fine. Thank you. No thanks for your kingdom. But look at what Moses did. Moses is prime example, and, and us too. We, can, we have these two things. Wait out. The reproaches of Christ, greater riches than the, than the treasures of Egypt. You remember Moses, he was brought up in Pharaoh's house. First of all, it says that he chose, he chose the ill treatment of his people. Remember, his people were slaves, not looked upon highly. He chose that over being in the upper echelon classes of Egypt. He chose to be with the slaves than with the rich people. Now you say, hey, that's pretty crazy. You know, he's committing a career suicide or something. What is he doing? He's about to be in line to be the Pharaoh. And perhaps Stephen even says this. He, at one point, Moses understood that he was going to be a deliverer. Maybe he could have used that riches and that power and that influence to rescue them. You know, he was going to be the judge, but you know, they cast him off and he had to go into Midian for four year, 40 years. He had to learn something of, of humbleness and meekness. But he chose to be with the ill treatment. Why? Because he weighed the reproaches of Christ better than the treasures of Egypt. He took the, the entire worth of what the, the world offers, and he says the reproaches of Christ, what they say about that king and his kingdom are worth more. Why? Because he was looking to the reward. And so these people, while they, they were under Caesar physically, they, 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 uh, they obeyed the king, the true king, the one that was unseen. And the reproaches of Christ would come upon them. They would proclaim the Messiah. They would proclaim that king and his kingdom that was to come. And the people, uh, the world reproached them or did not want anything to do with it, ridiculed them, made fun of them. So the reproaches of Christ. And <clears throat> back to the original point of don't be surprised when you face opposition, when you're out in the world. You just mentioned anything about the name of Christ. What is it that they don't like about it? For one, you know, there's several things. One is especially those uh, don't want to own up to the king. Why? Because they know something about that king. He's holy. And you know what? If he's holy and I have to answer to him, that means I have to answer for my sin. And I like the things the way it's going right now. I like my sin. And 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 in First Corinthians, uh, we're in, in one of the verses, it says this, that true love, it, it, it loves righteousness and does not take joy or, or take a pleasure in unrighteousness. It's really a description of the Lord Jesus. That's who he is. That's his character, right? But, you know, that's what they don't like. They don't like that king because, well, because of what he, who he is and what he stands for. But yet, the Christian, as, we, as we're to be encouraged by this, is while the world is against us, God is coming to set up his kingdom. And if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior this morning, you can too be a part of it. And even though it looks like the perception now, and, and even then, they looked at it and say, well, look at that. The entire city's against you. Maybe your plot, maybe your plan comes to nothing. Well, no, God was on their side. And we're looking to that king who is unseen, as Moses was, looking for that king who is unseen, 
to establish his kingdom, which we're already a part of now. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so the reproaches of Christ. How can we present, uh, how can we present our bodies, our changed life? Well, we just got to live as we're serving in practice, because we're already there, practice as serving that king. And the things that get in our way, the pleasures and the riches of Egypt, yes, that's probably the greatest struggle any person until they get to glory is going to have. As the pleasures of the world system is set against them and they get caught up in it and, and, that, and, and they get sidetracked and not following uh, fully what that king wants and not living, that, pres- that presentation of that changed life perhaps is a little dull. But praise God that there is restoration. That while you might be struggling with something and stuck in something, oh, I can never get out of it, or I keep struggling, well, ask the Lord to help. Confess it as sin, and He can restore you. Just like David. David was at the bottom, bottom of the barrel. Bottom. He, 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 did, he disgraced the name of the Lord. He did something heinous. And guess what? Well, he confessed that sin, and there was repercussions. I mean, with sin comes uh, destruction. But yet the Lord still restored him and used him mightily. And so, presentation of God's Word. Come with the God's Word. Uh, come with God's Word. What is it? Well, we know it already. If we've already received the Gospel, we know what it is. That the Lord Jesus, He is Lord. His suffering, His death and re- resurrection. And that He is the Messiah. And also just our life. And the change that happens when the Lord gets a hold of us. We, upset the, uh, we serve the true King, contrary to the world system. And we upset the world. And so may God help us. And then tonight we'll be looking at Berea uh, a little more in depth. And so let's close in prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord. And we just pray that you'd help us in these matters, Lord. And uh, so often the, the sin uh, uh, besets us, Lord, and weighs us down, Lord. But we just pray that we would cast it off uh, as a cancer on us. That we would cast it off and we continue moving forward towards your kingdom and being looking up to the Lord Jesus for when he returns. In the Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.